Good news. Jesus Christ's arms are open wide. Good news for many of us who are here today, and hopefully many of us who are either listening at some point or watching at some point. We have been redeemed. We've been washed in the blood. We've been made new. We've become new creations. The way that Paul describes it in the book of Colossians is that uh, we have died with Christ. We have been raised with Christ. And now we seek the things that are above. And our lives are to glorify God. And yet, there are things that we struggle with. Last week, we looked at this first list of words that the... uh, And I'll probably be coming and going, hopefully not. The antenna is going to be a problem. Um, Five words that the Apostle Paul uses to describe impurity, sexual immorality, lust, evil desires, and greed. And I don't know... Where you are in your keeping up with the news, we are a Southern Baptist congregation. And I got home after weeks of study and then after preaching that message, and I had a report from the Guidestone Commission on the uh, behavior of the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee over recent years. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are people who have been accused of, uh, who have accused pastors and staff of Southern Baptist churches of sexual imp- impropriety. At one level, impurity, immorality at another level. Some have been victimized. And while every church is autonomous, which means it makes its own decisions, it's responsible for its own doctrine, it's responsible for taking care of uh, their own staff and hiring and dealing with these issues, the uh, executive committee, this study in this report that was released, identified that the executive committee, rather than responding to and investigating and passing on the reports of immorality and impropriety, that at least the the upper leadership of the executive committee hid it, denied it, in some cases maligned the accusers, certainly decided not to act on it. And that makes me angry. That makes me mad. But I think the thing that really frustrates me and the thing that that we need to be aware of is that there is no one regardless of your age regardless of your years in Christ regardless of of um, your standing uh, your position there's no one who does not need to guard themselves against sexual immorality the temptation the the uh, responsibility that we have According to the Apostle Paul and according to the Holy Spirit who indwells us is that we're no longer our own. We've been bought with a price. And at every level, there were over 700 staff people, uh, over 40,000 churches, but over 700 staff people over the last 20 years who have been accused of impropriety. And we need to make sure that all of us are clean before God in that area, which means that there are things that we put to death. And so last Sunday I preached on that. That report came out. And this Sunday, I knew I was preaching on anger. You think I had opportunities to get mad this week? Uh, just earlier in the week, I was uh, in my little truck driving down one of our busier roads, and I came to a stoplight, and it was red. And I was sitting there waiting patiently for my turn when somebody blew the horn. And I looked up, and yeah, the light was red. And they didn't stop. They blew the horn. And and I'm looking around to say maybe it's not me that they're blowing at. There really wasn't that much traffic, but there was enough at this light. And I didn't see anybody doing anything wrong. 
And then they blew the horn again. You guys ever get emotionally engaged when you drive? And I look at the light and it's still red and I can't go. And someone is expressing their impatience and their anger with me and it just kind of felt hot. You know how you just start to feel hot? I'm looking around, I'm going to figure out who this is. And I look around and I finally find a van right back there full of one of our family smiling and waving, trying to get my attention. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, <laughs> whatever else is going on, I know that this sermon applies to me today. It's interesting that I want to make sure that you're aware that no one's exempt from dealing with anger. No one is exempt from the responsibility that we have to glorify God in our reactions and our relationship with people. There's no one that is not tempted to sinful anger and the responses, the sins that come from sinful anger. Now, next week we'll look at lying and deceit and hypocrisy and pretense. But anger is a big deal. Would you agree that anger is a big deal in our culture and our society today? One, we've become, as a phrase that has become more common, a, a culture of outrage. Every time you turn on the news or every time you're on social media, you're bom- bom- bombarded with outrage and responses uh, to outrageous circumstances and situation. Uh, the original intent for outrage culture was to call out oppressors, to, to bring to light things that need to be brought to light. But outrage culture is a double-edged sword. Society cannot silence dissenting opinions. No matter how hard you wish, you could silence dissenting opinions or correct those who, are, who disagree with you or change the way they think. You can't do that through the means at least that we have been trying to do so in our culture. And anger is addictive. You guys know that? Anger is addictive. When angry, your emotions are engaged, your fight or flight response is triggered, your adrenaline and cortisol levels increase, Uh, feelings of anger boost, feelings of righteousness, power, and moral superiority as uh, studies have been done and, and they report outrage becomes satisfying and addictive. And so we need to be cautious here. Um, did you guys know where South Carolina stands overall in the incidence of domestic violence? We're number 11th in the nation as far as states go in the incidences of domestic violence. Again, sinful anger, outburst of rage. Now, number 11th is an improvement. They've been tracking this for the last 23 years, and it's the first year we haven't been in the top 10. I don't know if you're aware, but anger, domestic violence, is an issue. 42.3% of South Carolina's women and 29.2% of South Carolina's men experience physical violence in their relationships, in their homes. In 2019, there were 36 women and 6 men who were the victims of domestic violence, homicide. They died as a result of uncontrolled and expressed anger. The statistics are long. I could go on, but I don't think many of us need convincing that anger is an issue, that anger is an issue in our culture, it's an issue in our world. But here's, I want us to kind of bring this down to you and me. Anger is an issue in our lives, and nobody's exempt. Everybody has the temptation to anger. Everybody has the opportunity opportunity to anger. 
There are happy people who get angry. There are sad people who get angry. And then there's the habitually angry. You guys know what I'm talking about. The, the ones that are kind of always looking for an opportunity to be angry. But it is everyone's battle. The first mention that we have in Scripture of someone being angry, murderously ang- angry, is found in Genesis chapter 4. Do you remember Cain and Abel? Here's what God said to Cain in Genesis chapter 4. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance or your face fallen? If you do well, if you do what's right, won't you be accepted or won't you be rewarded? And if you don't do well, here's the point. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. Anger has been around as long as we've had people, fallen people, who have been around. And it's an issue that we have to address. In the church and outside of the church, there are, there are things that we need to recognize. There are consequences of sinful anger. It, it brings about other sins. Sometimes we are angry about things we should be angry about, but the way we respond is sinful and harmful and hurtful. It brings about crime. I just told you the, some statistics on domestic abuse and other crimes that happen out of elevated emotions that are uncontrolled. Anger discredits a testimony. I was in the um, 7-Eleven down the road from the offices the other day, and there was a guy in there who uh, was talking to one of the cashiers, and the cashier made some innocuous comment about, hold on just a minute, sir, and this guy went off. I mean, he went off. How dare you talk to me that way? And it became an issue to the extent uh, I was late for a home group uh, that week. It became an issue to the extent that I wasn't going to leave till I was sure everybody was calmed down and, and that people had left. And nothing, I don't, don't know what I could have done, but, but I was at least going to be there and, and not abandon the, the situation. We have a, a, a culture of anger. And what happens is when people, when that guy finally made his way out the door, everybody there had something to say about him. Anger will ruin your reputation. Anger will ruin whatever. It, w- it will change the way people look at you. But can I tell you what just being consistently angry does? I was talking to, again, another one of our church members Wednesday night in the home group. We were sitting around having uh, excellent hamburgers, by the way, uh, and uh, enjoying our fellowship together. And I was, I was talking to uh, one of our home group members, and I said, you, you manage staff, you manage a store and you do customer service, do you have to deal with a lot of angry customers? And her response was, no, yeah, but no, just just normal, nothing bad. She said, it's worse when it's your employee who is always looking to pick a fight. It's worse when it's your employee who's always angry, who is always ready to uh, engage and, and be defensive and be prideful. And what happens is no one wants to work with you. You do understand that if you're just a naturally angry person, you, you, you make people nervous, you make people anxious, and no one wants to work with you. It becomes a challenge in what God has called us to be. Matter of fact, it becomes contrary to what God has called us to be. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul sent a letter to Titus, uh, to Titus uh, who was on the Isle of Crete, and he is the pastor there, and he's the elder that's leading there, and he tells him to appoint some elders, and he tells him, be careful now, you're dealing with a bunch of Cretans. <laughs> 
uh, brutes. You're dealing with people who, who like to fight. And as he gets to the end of this letter and this exhortation to him, he says, remind them, the people in your church, the people who have been saved, listen to what he says now, because some of this is not fun. I want you to understand, but it's important to understand. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. They are under someone's authority in some context. They're not to be rebellious against authority. They're to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, rather to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. A little bit later in that same paragraph when he says, we used to be that way, but Christ came and he saved us. Then he says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable, they're worthless. And then verse 10 he says, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Angry people are argumentative. Angry people are quarrelsome. But I'm not specifically talking about that habit, that pattern. We all have temptations to anger. In this text, again, that we have read and that we will be reading several times, Paul puts five words together. He says, now you must put them all away. Put away, put to death these things of earth. And he starts with, Anger, and he goes to wrath. Anger is orge. Uh, wrath is thumos. And these are the wrath of God, the anger. There, there is righteous anger, and there is unrighteous anger. Now, we like to justify our anger, but there is legitimately righteous anger. Ephesians 4.32 says, be angry. Or Ephesians 4 says, be angry and sin not. And did you know that this first word, most of the time, when it's used, it's used of God. Most of the time in Scripture, when it's used, it's used of God. The wrath of God. The wrath of God. And God is not unrighteous. God is righteous. Do you remember a time when Jesus was angry? Yes. At the very least, John chapter 2, right? In John chapter 2, Jesus goes to the temple after the wedding at Cana, and he cleanses the temple. As a matter of fact, he's overtaken with zeal for his Father's house and for his Father's glory. And when he sees the money changers or the people doing business and buying and selling, it angers him. And he turns over their tables. He takes a whip and he drives them out. He's angry on behalf of the glory of God. And so as we look at these first two uh, things, anger and wrath, those deal with our emotions. Those deal with our feelings. Matter of fact, the word orge, the word anger, literally can be translated hot or heated anger. And so for us, Paul in this text gives us a means of, 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 a, of addressing them. He says the first thing, or because this is an emotional thing, the first thing that we need to do is we need to monitor our emotions. We need to manage our emotions. We need to know what's going on with our emotions. Again, not all anger is sinful, but the anger that we're talking about today definitely is. And it's the anger that we are tempted to. It's the anger that we are tempted to. The goal is not that we never get angry. There are some things that should ignite our passion and our anger. We should be angry about what happened in Uvalde, Texas, and in Buffalo, New York. We should be angry about babies being killed through the process of abortion. We should be, there are a lot of things that we should be angry about. 
The problem is how we respond when we get anger, how we react to our anger. You can be anger. You can be angry about the right things and respond in the wrong way. And I say this for those of you that think that this is somehow a license for you to go around being angry Christians. Even if you have something to be righteously angry about, you have to be careful. You understand Proverbs 29 uh, says a fool gives, only a fool gives full vent to his wrath. When a, but a, a wise man quietly holds it back. We need to learn to manage our emotion. When Jesus was angry, he was angry for the glory of God because God was being maligned, because God was being wronged. Not for himself. As a matter of fact, how did Jesus respond when he was attacked? Do you remember? How did Jesus respond when he was insulted, when he was accused, when he was criticized, when he was slammed, when he was lied about? How, did he respond in anger when he was taken advantage of, when he was falsely arrested? Did he respond in anger? Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. I think I said to Olivia 23 and 24, but it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. And so I want to Go back up and read the verse before. In verse 22, Peter writes, He, speaking of Jesus, committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. But when he was reviled, how did he respond? He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But what did he do? He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, to God, the righteous judge, to him who judges justly. So when you are offended, when somebody's blowing the horn at you and the lights are red, when you begin to feel that emotion, when you feel your face get hot, when your vision gets kind of blurry, you guys know what it means, the room kind of gets a little distant. When your wife says something and it just sets you off, or your husband says something and it just sets you off, when those kids, never mind, When you're on the job, when you are unjustly angered or hurt, and you feel that emotion, the first question to ask is, all right, who's being offended? Who's being wronged here? If it's a righteous anger situation, I'm not angry for me, I'm angry for them. The question is, is this, an, is this a, a situation where you're righteously angry and then you respond in a righteous manner? You respond in the way that God would respond and that God would have you respond. Who is being wrong? If it's just me, we need to emulate Christ who saved us, Christ who lives within us, Christ whose image we're being conformed to. And when He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He was attacked, He did not threaten His vengeance. He didn't go after the people. He didn't give vent to the emotions uncontrolled. Here's, here's just a premise that I, that I believe is consistent throughout Scripture. When you are under attack and your emotions rise and you feel like it's time to get angry, you need to stop, manage your emotions, don't let your emotions lead, and you need to determine, resolve, I'm not going to react. At the very least, you need to say, I'm not going to react right now. I'm going to back off of this. I'm going to process it. I'm going to see what values in it. I'm going to see what it is that's got me stirred up. 
but I'm not just going to immediately respond and blow up. One of the guys that I read this week and talking and through multiple examples throughout Scripture, but what we're going to find in just a moment, that what comes out of our mouth starts in our heart. And he says what happens is when you're out of control, your emotions just bubble up and everything that's in your heart gets all stirred up. And then, if you're not careful, then you come to the malice, then you come to the slander, then you come to the corrupt speech, and you just vomit all that out all over whoever's standing in front of you. And that's a pretty gross picture. But I think it is appropriately descriptive of sometimes how we do not allow the Holy Spirit to control our emotions. How we don't recognize, red flag, red flag, I'm getting hot here, and we, why? Who's being wronged here? And if it's me, if it's me being wronged, then I need to glorify Christ in this. And I need to do something that I don't normally do. I need to trust the one who judges justly. Jesus, in some of the most vicious situations, didn't respond at all. He trusted his Father to care for him and to deal with the situation And when I'm personally attacked and I'm getting hot, I need to determine not to react, but to trust God. See, one of the things that we forget is we're God's. He's promised to take care of us. Just a couple of chapters over in 1 Peter, we're commanded to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, He exalts us. He lifts us up. We cast our cares upon Him and we recognize He cares for me. And so these first words really kind of focus on the emotion but the emotion, almost always, when it's not controlled, leads to some other things. And that's the next phrase or the next word in this list of five is malice. And malice speaks to intent. You need to manage your emotions. And you need to make sure that you're not wishing evil on someone else. And those are motives. So when you manage your emotions, you can examine your motives. How am I responding and why am I responding in this way? What is my motive in my interaction with those who anger me? They insult me, they criticize me, they were rude to me, they hurt me or they harm me, they lied about me. What am I going to do in this situation? And here's the question I want you to ask to help you diagnose that. Am I trying to settle the score? Am I trying to make things right? Am I trying to get my own back? Am I fussing? Am I... Uh, excusing, am I plotting, am I avoiding, am I, am I doing what I do to settle the score? I want you to understand that a lot of us, we always deal when we feel attacked with the response of getting even, getting even. I remember years ago, my dad sat me down when I was in high school because I was going through a, a pretty rough time at a particular point in a particular relationship. And Dad said, listen, son, it's not your job to get even. You need to trust God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And we're going to look at Romans 12 in just a moment, all right? But Dad quoted to me that verse, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And my brother was right there. He said, but can't we do God's work? Can't, can't we step up and, and serve the Lord in this manner? And Dad was teaching us, no, you don't get your own back. Jesus did not revile back, but he trusted the Father to take care of him, so he managed managed his emotions, but he also had always had the right motives. Here's what you need to check. This word malice means to intend evil. Are you mad at somebody? You want to know if you're mad at somebody? Are you wishing good for them or evil? 
Are you hoping they have a great day? Or are you hoping their car doesn't start in the morning? Are you really wanting the best for them? Or would it tickle you just a little bit to see them stumble and fall flat on their face? I want you to understand that our intent toward others matters. And you're not going to like this next point. I told you we're going to look at Romans chapter 12. I do want you to look at Romans chapter 12. That verse my dad quoted to me. In Romans chapter 12. And we'll just, we won't go even through the, some of the hardest parts. We'll just go through the easier parts. Matthew, uh, Romans chapter 12. We'll start in verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. What's the diagnostic question? Am I trying to settle the score? Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but do what? Leave it to the wrath of God. Who's supposed to be angry in this situation? There's your word wrath, wrath of God. God's wrath is never unrighteous. His wrath is always righteous. Our wrath most often is self-serving and unrighteous. And so he says, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, that's good enough right there. We can just say, all right, I just won't hold them against them. By the way, you know the opposite of holding that and seeking vengeance is forgiveness. You're aware of that, right? It's forgiveness. It's releasing the debt that is owed me. It is relating to the person as though there was no wrong done to me. Massive. If we have time, we'll come back and deal with it. Probably not today. But we can say, all right, clean slate, wipe it clean. Listen to what he says next. He says, to the contrary, you're not going to like this, to the contrary, if your enemy, the one who just insulted you, the one that made you mad, the one that criticized you, the one that embarrassed you, the one that's made you hot and red in the face, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Don't poison him. Feed him. Good food. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, always there's some pushback when I get to this point because people say, you want me just to be a doormat. You want me to just be nothing, to be flimsy, to be walked over. No. What I want you to do is rather than plotting a malicious intent against someone, plot for their good. I want you to be proactive in this. This is work. This is labor that is accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit within you. You work to change their heart by allowing God to work in changing your heart. You are to, rather than seek to settle the score, keep it out of balance, and you be the debtor. And who's our example in this? The Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Romans chapter 5 where we described as enemies of God, as ungodly? is those actively opposing them, how did He respond to us? He loved us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we examine our motive. And our motive is to glorify God first and foremost. And then our motive is to do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. This is Romans. This is the book of Galatians. Do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. Is it easy to do good to those who hurt you? No. Can you do it? God can do it in you. He can do it through you. He can change your heart. Um, engage and see, intentionally seek to do good in them. Fully forgive. Trust God. You can do this when you trust God to exact 
His judgment. When you do, you're reflecting God's love and His character. It's an active role in overcoming evil. There are so many examples. I'll, I'll share one with you. You guys remember Numbers chapter 12? Moses has been called by God. The children of Israel have come out of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've been to Sinai. They're in the Promised Land. Not, no, they're not in the Promised Land. They're in the wilderness. All right? And Moses has a brother and a sister with him. You remember who they are? Aaron's his brother. Miriam's his sister. All right. Now, did they get along? Probably as well as you get along with your brothers and sisters. Maybe not always as well. In this instance, Aaron and... Um, Mary, <laughs> thank you, uh, are criticizing Moses. Now, again, they're criticizing. One of the things they say was, is Moses the only one that God can talk to? Sounds pretty holy, doesn't it? Is Mo- does it have to be Moses? Is he the only one God speaks to? By the way, she finds out in a minute it's not. Aaron's complained. They, they complained about his wife, the woman that he married. How does Moses respond? We find in that chapter, the Bible says Moses was the most meek and humble of men. And he simply turned it over to God. Now, is Moses the only one God speaks to? No. (laughs) He called Aaron and Miriam out. And he said, meet me at the tent of meeting. We're going to have a conversation. And God calls them out. How dare you criticize my servant, Moses? And he exacts justice. As a matter of fact, evidently Miriam was the one who was having the most difficult time, or at least the one who had been the most vocal, because she's the one who got the sternest punishment. You guys will remember he turned her body leprous, and Moses intervened on her behalf. And, and he said, well, you know, even un- during the period of uncleanness, you have to be outside the camp for seven days. So she's got to go at least outside the camp for seven days. And Moses served as the agent of her restoration. I want you to understand that in this circumstance, in this situation, Moses did exactly how Jesus is described responding. When he was complaining, when he had every right to be angry, when he had every right to be bitter, he just said, I'm going to trust you, God. You do what you want to do. I'm going to do what you call me to do. I'm going to be faithful in this. You do what you want to do. And God the just acted. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we have to be careful that we not only manage our emotions, we have to examine our motives and make sure that our motives are to glorify God. Our motives are to be a testimony. Our motives are to do that which is right in the sight of God, which means not only do I not seek to settle the score, but I imbalance things on my part. Seeking to do good to those who would be identified as enemies. Now, we talked about wrath and anger. And we talked about malice, which is the intent. How do you know when you're mad or when somebody else is mad? How do you know? Now, granted, Cain's countenance was fallen, so you could see it on his face. But I will tell you that faces lie. My dad sits there like this, and you think he's mad as he can be, but that's just the way his face is. He's just resting mad face. I don't know what, what that is. All right. But faces, countenance can lie. How do you know when somebody's mad or when you're inappropriately mad? By what they say. By what they say. Would you agree with that? You guys ever get snarky? Don't lie. You ever get sarcastic? You ever get rude? You ever try to 
hurt somebody with your words or try to evoke a particular response with your words. In our text in Colossians, the uh, calling of the Apostle Paul here is to put to death the things that are of the earth within you. And he says, anger, wrath, malice, slander, which is tearing down someone's reputation in that speech with intent to do harm. And obscene talk, and that's just being offensive. Slander and obscene talk from your mouth. You know, Jesus said a lot about our talk. And here's, this ought to get your attention. It ought to keep you awake a little bit at night when you're thinking back through your day. Jesus identifies the source of our talk. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 through 37, he uses the phrase, talking about good fruit and bad fruit in the tree. He said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Now he's talking to the Pharisees, and so he calls them, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For, this is the phrase that ought to just get your attention, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. My dad, again, used to use the phrase, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. What's in the well comes up in the bucket. Out of the abundance of the heart, what's going on in your heart, that's what's going to come out of your mouth. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, and this, listen, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Wow! Wow! Your words demonstrate what's going on in your heart. Yes, you need to manage your emotions and not just immediately respond. Yes, you need to process and see what's going on and, and, and how you're to respond. And then you need to make sure that you're not seeking to settle the score. You need to make sure that you are actively working for good, for God's glory. But then you need to monitor your mouth. You need to discipline your mouth. You need to recognize that your words demonstrate what's going on in your heart. And, and can I tell you that you, you're going to need help with this? You're going to need help with this. All right? You need to ask some friends. You can ask your spouse. They live closest with you, but I'll tell you, you need to ask some friends and family. You need to ask people on the job, if you have a job. You need to ask people in your sphere of influence. Um, what kind of person am I? Am I an angry person? Am I a friendly person? Am I an encouraging person? Am I a critical person? But focus right now, we're focusing on the issue of unrighteous anger, sinful anger, and malice, wishing ill toward other people. And get some feedback, because we're all justified in our behavior. We self-justify our behavior. But they will help you understand, and you might recognize, hey, I, I do need to pay attention to this. This does apply to me. What do your words say about you? Do they build up or do they tear down? You guys will remember the sister exhortation in the book of Ephesus, where he says that we're not to destroy or to crush or to level people with our speech, but we're to exalt or to build up. We are to encourage with our speech. And by the way, slander is just being critical. And you guys know that one of the things, one of the ways that we good Baptists slander people is when we ask for prayer. You guys know that, right? We've had people do that. I've had people do that in small groups where I've been a part of small groups before. Certainly, I would say that is not characteristic 
of the home group that I'm a part of now. But I have sat around in uh, youth groups and in college groups and in other groups and had prayer requests like this come across. Y'all, y'all need to pray for Sally. She's got a bad attitude problem. And they will go on and tell their situation. And they make a prayer request into a slander session. Folks, that's ungodly before God. Don't do it. Or how about when we're just talking out in the hallways? Or how about when we're talking on the job? Or how about when we're at a fellowship or at a ministry? How do we talk about other people? Are we talking to build them up? Are we talking to encourage them? Or are we talking to tear them down? Now, I will tell you that if you're in an area of responsibility and you have authority over someone, then there, there's, that's another conversation. We're not going in that today. But you do have a role and a responsibility. Do like Paul told Titus and address the wrong. But you do that in a specific way, in a way that glorifies God. You don't spread it around. Slander. Slander. And then obscene talk is just abusive language. You guys know how to beat people up with your words? I will tell you one thing about families living together over a long period of time. You know what sets people off. You know the words that you can say. You know what sets people off. And here's what I'm telling you to do to glorify God in your marriage, to glorify God in your relationships, to glorify God in your workplace. You need to manage your emotions. To glorify God in your workplace, you, 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 need, to, you, you need to make sure that you're not seeking someone's ill will. You need to check your motives. Uh, you need to examine your motives. You need to correct your motives. And the result of that is going to be a mouth that builds up. A mouth that encourages, a mouth that, strength, that strengthens, rather than a mouth that divides, that hurts, that harms, that tears down, and that ridicules. I will tell you that Matthew passage where Jesus says, we're going to give account for every careless word, ought to keep you on your knees. It ought to keep you close to being clean. Now, I'm on close. But I want, you, I want to remind you, this is not a self-help lesson on how to be a nicer person. This is a command of Scripture. To the pen of Paul, to put to death that which is earthly in us. Why? For the glory of God. For our good. For the good of His body. For the, the testimony of Christ. And, and if we are angry people, we are not glorifying God in our speech. If we are angry people, we are not glorifying God in our uh, intentions and in our motivations. If we are angry people, we're just not glorifying God. It's not a testimony. It's not a testimony that Jesus is sufficient. That Jesus is sufficient. You understand that we can do this because Jesus paid it all. We can do this because Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. We can be transformed because Jesus now indwells us. But i got news for you. It's not going to be good enough for you to simply say, all right, I'm not going to react when somebody makes me mad. I'm going to examine the motives of my heart, and I'm going to intend good for them rather than evil. I'm not going to slander somebody or just use my voice to tear them down. And you start implementing those changes through the power of the Holy Spirit when that's been your pattern and you've never addressed it. And so if you have... Let's just go back a week. If somebody made you mad, you put, we even put that on them. They made me mad. If somebody made you mad, 
and you responded in a sinful way, what are you supposed to do? Just forget it and hope they do too? What are you supposed to do? According to the Word of God, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to forgive them. For whatever they did, offense real or imagined, you released their debt. But can I tell you that there's a much harder step that you're supposed to engage in? You're supposed to go ask forgiveness for where you have been an offense to them. There are two different times in the Gospels where we are commanded, even if you bring in your altar, your, your sacrifice to the altar, and you realize that your brother has ought against you, or you realize that you've offended your brother in some way, in both of those circumstances, leave your gift at the altar and go make it right. Can I tell you that the biggest problem with an angry attitude is that it takes root. It takes root. And unaddressed anger becomes suppressed and it results in all kind of physical and mental issues, emotional issues. But worse than that, it creates a root of bitterness. And we just become caricatures of what Christians are supposed to be. We become angry rather than loving God glorifying Him, loving one another, and loving the world that He's called us to reach, that He's called us to be salt and light. Again, we're dealing with the effects of sinful anger on the heart of a person. And when that has been a practice in your life, you need to go back and you need to say, I was wrong. And I ask your forgiveness. And by the way, can I just tell you, do that right. Don't do it like a politician. <laughs> Don't say, well, if you happen to be offended by my justly accurate statement. <laughs> but say, on this date, at this time, I said this, and I was wrong. And I ask you to forgive me. And do it whether they decide to forgive you or not because Romans chapter 12 says that's not on you, that's on them. Insofar as it lies within you, be at peace with all men, which means keep accounts short. And we can do it because Christ did it for us. Christ paid the penalty for our sin. We were wrong and he forgave us. We were in rebellion and he forgave us. Jesus paid it all. Join me in a word of prayer, guys, if you'll come on up. Father, I want to thank you that we can be cleansed from sinful anger. Yes, we can be emotional people. And yes, we can be passionate people. And we can do so in a way that gives glory to you. And we can also do so in a way that simply feeds our flesh, that justifies our behavior, that makes us look right, makes us look better. A way that we have some sort of inappropriate pride, a way that we have some sort of inappropriate self-preservation that that, that we are easy to offend. Father, may we never be easy to offend, certainly not in defense of ourselves. Teach us to trust you, to trust you, the righteous judge who judges all men perfectly, 
who executes judgment faithfully and consistently. Help us to be like Moses in number 12, Numbers 12, or Jesus, as he's described in 1 Peter chapter 2, how when we are reviled or when our emotions rise, we don't give in to those emotions. We allow you to manage those emotions. We manage those emotions in your power and in your strength. And examine the motives of our hearts. Why do we do what we do? Why do we treat people the way we treat them? Why, do we, why are we always caustic with some people? Why do we avoid others totally and completely? Father, help us to examine our motives and to be motivated by glorifying you, by doing what is good, feeding our enemy if he's hungry, giving him something to drink if he's thirsty, seeking his good, her good in our interactions at personal cost because you're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. Father, be glorified in our behavior. Continue to conform us to the image of your Son. We're grateful for Christ. In your name I pray. Amen.